Hello all, uh, welcome to another episode of uh, Directive Stories. And today we are joined by our special guest, um, Steve Sullivan. In fact, this is the year of Tele Everything. So in this particular um, interview, in this particular talk, we'll talk about uh, telemedicine. Uh, is it hype or how much is it truly helping our communities? Uh, is there a transformation happening with respect to healthcare, uh, what are the kind of changes which are going to happen uh, as the pandemic settles down? Or so let's find out, or let's hear it from Steve. Steve, thank you so much for accepting our invite to be part of Directive Stories. Um, so, uh, with respect to the kind of uh, broad background in healthcare IT, which Steve had with respect to the kind of managing applications or information security or he worked uh, in infrastructure teams as well so steve was uh, into a family of uh, physicians in fact his mother holds a phd in nursing and sister as a registered nurse at uh, she also worked for the red cross so he understands the challenges which clinicians face in providing the patient care and he has got the passion for improving this clinician productivity or be it patient safety or uh, respect to uh, saving uh, millions of dollars with respect to the healthcare IT. So Steve, uh, welcome. Uh, could you please uh, introduce yourself to our audience? Thank you, Raj. I am Steve Sullivan. I'm based in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, I currently am a leadership coach, but as Raj mentioned, I come out of healthcare IT leadership, over 20 years of leadership experience in taking technology and helping clinicians uh, in terms of productivity, patient safety, cost savings, all those areas. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation. And Raj, you I, I don't know if I told you, but my wife is also a nurse. So mm. from the day I was born, probably till the day I die, I will be surrounded by nurses. Okay, this is awesome. So in fact, uh, it shows in the kind of videos which I had watched on LinkedIn as well, uh, there's lots of caring, but how do we bring back the care to healthcare? Um, I, I understand for the fact that you breathe in and breathe out caring uh, like the way you mentioned from birth to death uh, like from the first breath of your life to till the last breath of your life uh, we know that we are living in a world of tele everything but what what do you think that uh, will bring back the care into the term healthcare because people believe that uh, there's no caring in healthcare yeah, as, as healthcare has become more and more automated and more and more productivity oriented, there is that pressure upon the clinicians to move rapidly. And in moving rapidly, they don't always spend the time with the patients that uh, they might like to spend truly, because generally all those people are very caring and compassionate people to be in this profession. And they uh, balance that in various different ways, depending on what their role is on the on the care team. Uh, but I, I think you're correct. I mean, one of the great things about today is technology coming in, telehealth. Uh, I was just looking at some statistics recently that showed prior to COVID, the uh, Medicare population in the U.S., which is largely people 65 and older, only 1% of them did like virtual conferences with their physicians through cool. telehealth. But through COVID, that's now up to 43%. Uh, so COVID has created the necessity for people to reach out and stay isolated. Uh, and in terms of how do you care, you really have to care by uh, making yourself available, answering the questions, not rushing through things, um, showing them that 
you're listening, that you've heard them. Because uh, far too often physicians hear a lot of stuff and they quickly filter that out and they'll say a response and they'll move on. Where if they just took the time to listen a little bit more, maybe the response that they would give isn't necessarily the response that the patient needs. Um, and so that's a whole nother level of emotional IQ, so to speak, that physicians and clinicians need to develop if they don't have that already. Yeah, that reminds me that uh, lots of physicians need therapists or therapists need therapists as well. Uh, I love the way you put it across uh, saying they should be available. They should be um, uh, they should be available for listening or they should be responsive. In fact, um, this age of telly everything also made the term essential from being an adjective to uh, a legal term. Uh, because uh, now the way you put it, like COVID had uh, made not only the first responders or healthcare workers or uh, be it military, fire and police are the primary recipients of that particular designation of being an essential worker. But we know that the people working in the grocery stores, people working in the gas stations, people working in pharmacies or warehouses are be it truck drivers or postal workers, they're all essential workers. In fact, their physical presence uh, had made everybody an essential worker. So uh, thank you so much, Steve. Uh, so people should be available. That's, that's again, I wanted to reiterate or probably put it like the way you said, they should be available. It's not only for listening, but they should be responsive. Are you responding to the need of the community or the need of the people and that's all about caring awesome so could you tell me what uh or could you please share your journey as to what made you get into the healthcare or how did you land up uh, in healthcare? <laughs> <laughs> well growing up in a family where my father was a physician there were certainly conversations around the table all the time and so you know they would not hesitate uh to talk about what was going on at work. Uh, generally, they didn't mention names or that kind of thing, but it was more, you know, this case came in and this is what we did. So I learned those things growing up. And as I watched my dad work as a physician, I quickly realized that's not me. <laughs> I can't, I had, I did not have enough interest in medicine at that young age to want to put in the time and work effort that I saw my father, you know, with medicine and he'd pick up these journals and read all these things. And I was like, oh man, I can't imagine just, you know, I'd rather be out playing. <laughs> and so early on I determined, okay, healthcare wasn't for me, but one of the things I did love was IT. So my parents were very supportive of me getting into IT. And as I started working in IT and establishing my career at one point early on i decided you know where do i really want to apply my skills as an it person you know do i want to go into business and finance and i realized that my heart was attuned to clinicians and so i sought for an opportunity and found it to get into healthcare it and start working within that arena you know, again, utilizing the experience I had for my parents and how to relate to clinicians, uh, as well as now knowing technology and trying to translate that in a way that clinicians can understand and use a, utilize for their uh, practice. But uh, if given a chance, again, would you love to be a uh, physician? A physician like your dad, or probably would you again choose only IT? <laughs> I mean, actually, actually that, that is a great question because I probably would flip the table. I probably would say, hey, I'd love to be in a physician. And also because of my ability to learn technology, I would be able to take advantage of the technology today and patient care that my father didn't necessarily have 
you know, 50 years ago. <laughs> so like the way you started, uh, were there any also failures as you uh, started continuing with your IT journey? I, I, I definitely, I agree that you had worked on lots of applications. You managed um, teams of different uh, mindsets. In fact, people with different backgrounds. So were there any setbacks? Were there any failures during this journey? From a career standpoint, not till the very end of it. I okay. mean, I started out with the IT startup. It was the first company to bring out uh, the C compiler for the IBM PC back when the IBM PC had like eight, wow. you know, kilobytes of memory, <laughs> not gigabytes or trilobytes. It's like <laughs> next to nothing, wow. you got your floppy disk and all that. And uh, I enjoyed working for them and and programming and learning, you know, IT stuff from there. And that was my my introduction into IT. And then I transitioned that into a programming position in a hospital and quickly got tapped because of my leadership skills to take on other levels of leadership. I, in truth, I never sought <laughs> any of the le levels of leadership. I just kept getting tapped by my CIO and asked, oh, okay, you'd be a good manager at this. Oh, you'd be a good director at this. And, and so I worked my way up. Uh, but like many people in my generation, the older generation, as mergers have occurred, and they're very prolific in healthcare today, two entities come together. And if you're the secondary entity and not the primary entity, you may find yourself on the short end of the stick, which was my case. And uh, they, you know, chose to retain their leadership, the primary leadership, and pretty much dismiss most of us from the secondary partner. So uh, that, that caused me to leave healthcare directly into uh, consulting and coaching and, and helping people that way. Awesome. Uh, that's the moment you mentioned C compiler from IBM. I'm like, wow. So that could be in uh, 90s, I suppose, or maybe. No, 80s. it was the 80s. At first, the first C compiler came out in, I think, 1981 with the. Wow. Pretty, pretty shortly after the IBM PC came out. Uh, okay. Because the, the company I was with had a couple guys that came out of Bell Labs who invented the C uh, language wow. and used the C compiler. And, and so they started up a business that actually their direction originally was something different, but they realized coding and assembler was, was not the way to go. And so they had their own C compiler built to enable them to code these other projects. And in the process, they realized, oh, they had this great tool and started selling it uh, long before Microsoft, long before Borland came in and the, you know, the big boys that gobbled up the market later on. Yeah, I guess Bill Hewlett or Dave Packard might be still working on their transistors during those days uh, when you were. Uh, yeah. In fact, I knew, I knew the HP story because I spent close to five years at Hewlett Packard. Uh, in like the garage story of HP, uh, but that reminds me of uh, you being um, now being a from uh, from a programmer. You were a programmer, but uh, again, with your management skills, now you are happy uh, being a coach in the leadership role. So, what are the kind of resources or tools which had helped you uh, transfer uh, like the kind of transition which you had your journey from the healthcare space to being uh, the rediscovered confidence uh, entrepreneur, like being a CTO there. How did the journey transit move into? Well, as I began to start the entrepreneurship journey, truthfully, it was totally new to me because uh, I'd spent my career in corporate. I had expected my career to probably end there in corporate. Uh, and then when I found myself outside of corporate, 
I knocked on a ton of doors to try and get back in the door. Uh, in fact, at one point in time, my wife asked me to put together a Google map of all the healthcare organizations I had interviewed with. Okay. And I had pins in 20 different states of the United States of organizations I had interviewed with. And, wow. you know, a lot of them would bring me back for a second and third position. Um, and it, it was like, okay, it, it's a challenge when you're older trying to get back into roles that are often part of the career progression path. And so at that point in time, I said, hey, I'm gonna start being an entrepreneur and now I got a lot to learn. Okay, so the way you are connecting the dots backwards, like maybe three to four decades backwards, uh, are there any other resources uh, which helped you um, achieve the kind of uh, goals which you are trying to achieve? Um, I also understand that you are super active on LinkedIn, helping other people, um, also engaging with the community. So did you uh, make investment in the coaching business or uh, how did uh, like how did the um, this particular transition happen as in are there any well, resources which had helped you as i engaged with people on linkedin especially looking at linkedin to help me maybe try and find my next job through that engagement with many people they said steve you'd make a good coach you'd make a good coach okay and so eventually i did uh go and get certified as a umap coach which is a process of self-discovery. It's a holistic self-discovery process where we look at strengths, values, preferred skills, and personality. It gives you a complete picture of you as a unique individual and how those strengths help you in a career standpoint, uh, how they help you in the choices you make in the relationships and how you interact with people. So it's a powerful discovery process. Uh, so on top of that, I've been building a leadership uh, coaching practice, you know, using that to leverage leaders' understanding of themselves and what they can do and where they need help. Uh, because I'm one of these firm believers is maximize your strengths and ignore your weaknesses. Uh, because if you spend time working on your weaknesses, you're not going to prove them very much and there are going to be things you probably hate so find other people that you can effectively work with who have strengths in the areas where you're weak and together you can become an effective team could you please uh, repeat that maximize trends and what okay. to do with the weaknesses lower the weaknesses yeah. i encourage people to maximize their strengths and ignore weaknesses Oh, ignore. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes people say, well, why, why would you ignore weaknesses? You know, that can get you in trouble. Well, you know, if, if your weakness is you've got a bad attitude, that's a different, that's, that's character. You need to build, you need to have the right character. But when I'm talking about strength, I'm talking about how you work. Uh, are you a communicator? Are you a, um, engineer i mean there's different strengths that each person has that they can leverage uh and so you know using that example let's say you've got in it somebody who's really good at communicating and you've got somebody who's really good at building the building person probably wants to stay in their cube and do nothing more than build <laughs> they don't want to be in front of people presenting and talking to people and if you, if you bring those two people together, now the builder can basically generate the information for a presentation that then the person with the communication skills can take and present to the customers that, that need to get that message. And so that's, that's what I'm talking about in terms of it doesn't help a builder to say, hey, I'm not very good at communication, it's not gonna become better. Uh, they're likely to become frustrated because they wanna be back building. 
a communicator, if they're not a good builder, they're probably not going to want to get back into code and code and code when they'd rather be talking to customers, communicating to groups and other types of events and functions. Okay. So it's always a good thing to ignore weaknesses, which is good. Um, yes. So again, with respect to uh, telling everything, coming back to uh, what we were missing on, we know that uh, Zoom is also a verb, but many bosses are missing their employees' productivity because they can't see them <laughs> physically. And some bosses are like, go, the telework. Now, again, tele everything. Telework is um, something which is getting into everybody's lives. Um, the way everything is expanding rapidly, there is a um, disaster recovery plan. In fact, everybody's productivity is also getting affected by the same. So with respect to work-life balance, Steve, how do you... Um, put it across to the business stakeholders. How should uh, they treat their employees in the telework space? Uh, as a coach, you know that mm -hmm. many of us are working temporarily from home, uh, though we are not working from our office location. How should yeah. bosses be handling their telework? Uh, yeah. Because micromanagement will get us on nerves. Uh, it's it, already because of the physician burnout or like the burnout of employee. Everything is affecting. What what would you suggest? Well, one of the things I did before COVID ever came, two to three years prior to COVID, is I effectively moved my technology team to work from home. Really? Wow. Because they, again, all the work that we were doing was basically logging onto servers and changing values and maybe having phone calls with customers. But they didn't really need to be in the office uh, to do that work. And yeah, I got a lot of pushback. People saying, oh, you can't do that. You know, they won't work. And, and my argument to them was, you think because they're in a cube here, they're working? How do you know whether they're working in the cube? And, they, <laughs> and almost no manager can answer that because unless you're sitting in the cube with them all day you have you don't know what they're doing unless you see the results and so the key to any work from home program or program in the office is defining uh key performance indicators if you've got those kpis then you can evaluate your team effectively and say okay joe's performing higher on the kpi than steve is and so now what do I need to do to get Steve up to Joe's level? Um, a lot of those managers, quite frankly, don't know how to manage through KPIs. And so they're left with this idea that if they see people, they must be working. <laughs> and, and what I found, what I often found is when you see people, they're probably talking and gabbing and not working. <laughs> yeah, probably if there is this uh, IRC again, like the Jabber or some software tools internally, uh, people chatting, but um, um, I love the way you put it across. Like, um, again, some bosses think seeing is believing, but again, uh, even if they are in the cube, what makes you believe that they're working? That's a uh, standard definition. So. The idea of telework, uh, I love the fact that you started implementing since 2018. Uh, that's awesome. Again, the trust factor of a boss is very important to uh, have the KPIs, which you mentioned, to be positive. Now, again, the OKRs are chasing us. For us, uh, it's again OKRs always. What are your objectives? What are your key metrics? What are the results based upon the kind of efforts which you're putting in? So it, it's driving me nuts, but again, my boss is uh, remotely monitoring me or everybody yeah. in the <laughs> everybody yeah, in the space. It, it depends on what they're monitoring. If they're just wanting you to put out a, a timesheet that says, oh, I, could, I did this, did this, that's not monitor, that's not managing by KPI. KPI is what is the work that you need to do? Do you have to make 20 calls today? Do you have to build five servers today? They're you know, the roles have the tasks that they need to get done. 
and you as long as you measure the task you can say oh okay raj did 25 calls today he's way up there but it takes a mentality which i had with all my teams which is i expect you to be professionals and so when i give you a task i want you to run with it and do it you know i'm here for you if you have questions and you run into an obstacle or something and you need my help, you know, fine, but I'm going to leave it to you to go execute and then judge you based on the results. And so those, those are the type of mindsets that I try and teach managers. Uh, Cause you know what I found when I moved my team home is they were more productive. <laughs> In Chicago, yeah. in Chicago, we have big commutes. You know, yeah. you might have somebody driving an hour into your office. As soon as you take away them having to come in, that's an hour earlier in the day and an hour later that they gain back. And oftentimes what I found is they were already preconditioned to say, okay, I got to leave at seven in the morning to get to work by 8 a.m. And so they're ready to work at 7 a.m. And if they don't have to get in the car and go someplace or hop on a train, they hop on their computers and they start working. <laughs> and they actually worked longer. <laughs> and so, again, there are a ton of benefits uh, to remote working. And, and one of the things that I, I find challenging is all these companies that want to bring people back in the office now, and I want to wake them up and say, don't you realize by having a remote or virtual company, you now open yourself up to the possibilities of being hired, of being able to hire the best talent from around the world. You're not yeah, stuck with the handful of people that just happen to live in your area or want to move into your area. And so all I know is, is, I feel like I'm I'm barking up a tree with a lot of managers on this one uh, <laughs> because they, they haven't learned any differently. Uh, maybe they haven't seen the benefits of it. Uh, you know, if they're a micromanager, they're going to hate it because you're right. You can't hover over people and see what they're doing. Uh, although I have heard of companies that are effectively implementing that through monitoring software so when people are working it's taking pictures every so often so that the boss can go back through and say okay what did you do today did you go out to uh find a date for an hour and look at all the cute girls or cute men <laughs> and I, I bring that up because i had a case of that where hr <laughs> was spending a lot of time looking for dates <laughs> dating <laughs> and it was it was like can you check on this steve and since i was a security officer at that time i could and i ran the reports and it's like yeah there's a lot of <laughs> looking for guys out there <laughs> the dating sites okay probably okay and also this reminds me when you mentioned about the travel uh that also reminds me um because people are conditioned uh, one hour prior to um, um, starting their work, uh, again, their brain is conditioned. Uh, so this reminds me of uh, tele-travel because the sales team, uh, not only the employees, but everybody is trying to sell themselves, be it with the code or be it with the kind of skills which they have. Everybody is a salesperson, um, no matter what profession you are into, no matter what LinkedIn title which we all have. So. People have changed uh, they, the way they uh, articulate themselves to virtual pitches. In fact, uh, people um, have realized that there is higher focus on relevant, consistent uh, communication, which is happening over the tele-travel. So people are saving huge on costs, yes. which again, you mentioned. Uh, yeah, in, there's the, a huge benefit. in the organization that I came out of, we were a big Cisco shop, and so early on, we adopted their high-definition uh, teleconferencing uh, technology that they had. And man, if you, when you sit in that, you realize 
it's like sitting in the same room with each other. It's so clear, it's so crisp that, you know, you know you're not in the same room, but yet you can monitor and see everything that everybody's doing just as if you're in the room with them. Uh, so that type of technology really, uh, I guess, shrinks the, the whole concept of, okay, we've got to be in the same room so we can see each other because uh, you can't see each other. Zoom is a different beast in that you, you've got maybe 10 individual rooms coming together and people don't always realize that in their room, which is their home, <laughs> people can see what's going on. Uh, where if they're at, you know, if you've got multiple locations in a healthcare system like we do, yeah, you might have half your group at this hospital and half your group at another hospital in business rooms talking to each other. So they have more of a sense that, hey, this is a business environment and should be treated as such. Yeah, so now Zoom had uh, become a verb more of a verb than just being a company. And I got to know yesterday, uh, there's another company which is also going to uh, kill Zoom. Uh, probably I can uh, put it in somebody else's words. Probably it, it's going to be one of the best uh, uh, online softwares, I should say, like uh, the video of the clubhouse. Now, uh, like the way the StreamYard, uh, one of the tools where you can stream it to multiple platforms, be it on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, trying to communicate or deliver your message to a broadcast audience. Uh, the same way I found this, this is called as uh, Sling Show. Uh, Sling Show is one of the uh, uh, awesome application which is going to uh, change the way people do virtual events, the way the people communicate. I, I heard it. I, in fact, I read it in multiple forums online saying it's like the clubhouse of video or it's going to kill Zoom soon. Uh, it's it's super interactive. The engagement is higher. Uh, whatever you do in uh, um, making your tables virtual, making it uh, the UI interface is amazing. So uh, again, yeah. you can Google you got, to find that. When you've got people outside of organizations coming together, that that type of technology works. One of the things I've seen with businesses is. Many of them are becoming smart to realize that, hey, they've signed up for Microsoft 365. And within that is the Microsoft Team app. And so they're using the Team app uh, multidimensionally. You know, you can do video conferencing, you can do audio conferencing, you can just do texting and sharing of documents and various things that that Team app does. Uh, it's all you're already paying for it as an organization. If you've got a subscription to Microsoft 360 with, you know, in place in your organization. Awesome. Now let's move on to tele-education, uh, Steve. Like we spoke about tele-work, we spoke about tele-travel, uh, we spoke about tele-health or tele-medicine. Uh, again, we'll come back to uh, the tele-therapy or taking pills uh, based upon the prescription on the availability of the physician or uh, on the availability of the remote care, like the way the RNs or uh, the nurses are helping remotely. Um, again, that's part of it. But let's move on to tele-education, Steve. How are children coping up? I, I know, my though my children are 10, 10 to 12 year old. Uh, yeah, mine, mine are in college and older. So I, I have not had to deal with younger kids in basically elementary junior high high school and i've and my wife and i have both been thankful like i don't know how we would survive if we had to homeschool our kids during this period of time so i commend all those mothers fathers that are successfully doing that um and in fact i think what you'll see is potentially even a swing towards home schooling more you know, that existed before COVID. But now that people have seen and gotten into a routine of homeschooling, uh, you know, if the mother, the father enjoys doing that, there's all sorts of stuff online that you can homeschool your kids with without them going back into school. Now, 
you know, each child is unique. That's one. I've had four kids. I know there's no such thing as you have one kid and they clone. No, they are totally <laughs> separate creatures with their, you know, different interests. Um, it's so with tele-education, you're probably finding kids that maybe struggled at school because of the social pressure and dynamics at home finding, wow, I don't have to deal with that stuff. So now I can focus on studies and excel. And then you have the reverse. You have the people who want that social dynamic and they're at home like, oh, where's my friends? Where's my friend? And they're not really focusing on schooling or studying uh, and possibly falling behind uh, because they prefer to be in class and interact with their friends and maybe even have their friends, you know, where they could have over at home. And then they kind of maybe hold each other accountable, like, oh, gee, we got to get this report done for class. So let's work on it together. Um, so that's occurring. But when you get like into healthcare, e-learning has become very powerful uh, as a tool. It was there before COVID uh, in two, two different ways. One, you think of e-learning in terms of training the clinicians, but it's also there in training the patients. Uh, you know, I, I can remember seeing some very effective things put together for surgeries, where if you were going to undertake like a uh, gallbladder surgery, you could go out and see um, kind of a 3D rendering of what the doctor was going to do, how they, you know, worked on your body and help educate you to understand what the process is and work into that. Also things like, Hey, remember, don't eat or drink before, you know, 12, 24 hours beforehand or whatever, you know, afterwards, make sure you do this. Um, those kind of directives get built in that education and potentially the patients hear that better than if the doctor just says, Hey, do this, do that. And they may or may not, uh, remember it. But then the other side of that is the clinicians. Um, if you've got a big health organization, like my wife works in, you've got, I think 11 hospitals in her healthcare system. Wow. Uh, she's in, in one of the biggest uh, healthcare uh, systems here in Chicago. Uh, but they have to train nurses in each of those locations. Uh, uh, you know, prior to COVID, they talked about how to pull nurses into, a, you know, two or three different locations. And since COVID, they've moved more towards how to do remote training uh, to nurses either at home taking the training or uh, within the hospital that they normally work. Yeah, again, nurses are probably, again, the tele-education is also playing a huge role, like the way you put it across the with respect to uh, surgeries or 3D rendering, the technology is helping out that. Uh, but what about the um, mental health? Because pandemic parenting, it's driving nuts. In fact, I love the way you mentioned uh, it's a huge honor uh, for all the parents who are uh, facing the challenges, educating their children, uh, coping up with the reports or helping the children. But we know that their mental health uh, space, probably the kind of emotional caution which they are going through, how should parents handle like what what would be your solution for pandemic parenting? Because uh, you paint successfully uh, done with the parenting for four kids, as the way you mentioned. But what about other parents uh, who are coping up? Somebody with not kindergarten, but primary school or high school. Uh, not only the work pressure, but the children pressure. How should they deal with this kind of tele um, education? That's a great question because the you know the mental health aspect is a major impact of the shutdowns, the lockdowns. You know, we weren't designed to be 
really locked down. We function better when we're out and about. We can meet people. We can do activities. We can do things. And so the lack of being able to do those activities is affecting certain individuals. Uh, others, if, if they're, they enjoy engaging online, they've got that as an outlet. Um, and so for kids at home, the question becomes, what activities can you maybe help them engage with other kids online? Okay. Uh, or, you know, again, if you're in the inner city, it's different than if you're in the suburbs. In the suburbs, you might have a yard where you can say, hey, I want you to go out and kick ball for an hour <laughs> every day. So they get so the kid gets outside and gets uh, some physical activity because uh, physical activity is a great uh, medicine for mental health. Uh, and my mom uh, was a psych nurse. Her PhD in, is in psych nursing. Um, and she would always say, you know, if you're depressed, you're down, Steve, go out there, get the axe and chop some wood. Because uh, she grew up on a farm, so chopping wood was pretty common. And, um, and I do that once in a while because the bottom line is, if you go out there, that physical activity takes energy and it pulls away some of that bad energy, uh, distracts you from those things that are creating that bad energy and hopefully giving you maybe a feeling of, hey, I'm accomplishing something and replacing it with a feeling of accomplishment. Okay. So awesome. tell your kids to go chop wood. <laughs> uh, like, um, again, your partner, Karen Markham, I'm just picking it from the yeah. uh, LinkedIn bio, which you have it out there. What about uh, people seeking inner strength, uh, emotional emotional well-being? How, how do people stay away from the toxic work environment, um, getting glued to the computers, sitting? Uh, because some people who are about to complete their job in four to six hours now are spending 14 to 16 hours. Um, uh, they're spending, um, they're, they're being workaholic or probably as they are not supposed to step out of the home. Under quarantine, everybody is glued to their screens. Uh, what should one do to gain the inner strength? Well, you, you need to plan breaks from, from that for sure. Uh, a lot of, when, I, when I'm coaching people about confidence, it comes down to the stories people tell themselves. Uh, and, I'll, I'll, and all my clients, I tell them, you know, uh, the tongue has the power of life and death. So if you speak positive things, you will bring about a state of health. If you speak negative things, you will bring about a sense of state of dying. Um, and that's not only true in terms of the words you use towards somebody, uh, but it's also true in this in what you tell yourself inwardly and what you think inwardly. And so to those people, I encourage them to begin to identify those negative messages and turn them into positive messages. Uh, use affirmations. Um, and it's a challenge for some of them because they're caught up in this world of comparing themselves to others or they're caught up in listening to the opinions of others and responding to the opinion of others instead of saying, hey, you're an amazing person. That's who you are. And you are worthy. Just say this. I am worthy. I am worthy. And, and in saying that and taking that in, you can begin to silence the inner voices that are telling you you're not worthy, you can't do this, or you can do that. Awesome. So that's what I, 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 love, uh, I love the way you put it again. Uh, again, the tongue is so powerful. 
so this would be my last question for you, Steve. Um, again, uh, I know people can reach out to you through uh, Confidence, uh, re redefine conf uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, rediscover confidence. And the confidence, confidence rediscovered. So yes, <laughs> confidence rediscovered. Now I had a question of uh, confidence as, but as we are focused on tele everything, uh, teleconfidence is also one of the major things which many people shy away from um, because they're on screen. People are judging them like the way they speak. I love the way you do your videos, kind <laughs> of energy you put in. Um, so again, this is this is a beautiful website. I have not seen on any speaker whom we invited in the last uh, hundreds of days. Uh, but this is this is something which I love. A collage of all your posts, which is um, they're older like, posts, but yes, <laughs> I love the Stevieism. <laughs> like uh, so, thank you so much for sharing everything. So the way we narrate stories to our own selves uh, defines how great we can be a tele leader. Um, not only a, the leadership, again, the leadership skills. Um, will also show how we speak to ourselves, how we speak to others, how we engage, how we communicate. But this is a, um, for all the listeners out there, uh, please get in touch with Steve Sullivan through LinkedIn, or you can uh, go to this website, stevesullivan.fiu.to. Uh, in fact, this is an older website, which we uh, agreed upon. Um, it's not been updated, but I guess this would also wish, I wish this should be dynamic because every time you share something on Twitter or LinkedIn, I guess it should auto-populate here. Um, it would be good uh, if it did that, but it's all manual and I haven't been good at being manual, <laughs> updating it uh, because of my focus is on trying to crank out a new website, a personal website. Yeah, but I've seen on few speakers, um, they have this uh, plugin uh, and they have a special uh, a tab or they have a special element uh, within the website which keeps on scrolling i guess um i guess it's been automated uh, because it doesn't look like uh, a manual intervention because at the moment they share something on their social media it auto populates on their website also i had seen a couple of websites mm -hmm. like that but there thank you so much Steve. um the last uh, 48 minutes uh, was golden time talking okay. about tele everything right from birth to death, it's, I would say, Delhi breath again. Though I'm in India, and you from Chicago, this Delhi uh, conference or probably Delhi meeting had done justice to the kind of topic which we had chosen. And uh, thank you so much for bringing in insights. Uh, at the beginning of the talk, I was a little skeptical as to how it's going to be. I'm trying to be frank here. <laughs> but no, that's fine. I, I, I love the answers, the way you put it. So. Again, with respect to confidence rediscover, um, if anybody needs to um, uh, be better at uh, whatever they're doing, or if if anybody needs to be a better version of themselves, I would strongly suggest you to please get in touch with Steve. You'll also see uh, little bites of this, uh, like a social media one minute or 30 second teasers uh, on our platforms, again, through social media, be it on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, so before we wrap up, Steve, do you have any any last minute things which you want to share with our audience or uh, with our clinician network? I would just say to people that if you're struggling to be the leader that you want to be or question whether you're the leader you need to be, uh, reach out to me and um, we can uh, look at how I can help you achieve those results and move from a sense of, you know, feeling like you're not doing it to a sense of, yeah, I can do this. I've got this. And now I'm going to be so much more successful. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for that, Steve. It's been an awesome conversation. I and mean, you will be able to catch up these directive stories again on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts as well. You can listen to the same. And I'll talk to you again uh, soon, Steve. I'll send you the recordings. And for all the audience, if you're watching the replay, do share your feedback or leave in your comments. Or yeah. if you catch the snippets of this entire uh, interview, do let us know how you felt. 
Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you for accepting our invitation once again for sharing all your insights. Thank you so much. Have you been to India, Steve? This would I have. I, I spent one day in Calcutta. Oh, okay. Because I, I was putting Namaste. I'm like that made me ask the question. Yeah, because I was I was traveling to Nepal. So I spent like three weeks in Nepal, but my travel took me through Calcutta and yeah that was that was an interesting day I spent there and and I would love to come back to India uh, work with people there businesses whatever um, so thank you for inviting me on your program and uh, allowing me to speak to your audience which uh, is an audience that yes i love but i hardly ever get to speak to because you're on the other side of the world at a different time but i i love the way you completely narrated it was an awesome story uh bringing in your family also different experiences from your mom or dad again your partner or probably um the way you put it across including the four children you mentioned but again we'll get into the details later but appreciate all your time thank you uh, uh, our team from uh, Chicago or Illinois and New York, they're traveling to India in July. They are, they're, they are in US for the last 16 years. They keep traveling, they keep shuttling. Uh, but you should also get in touch with our CEO, Wamshi, who couldn't be part of this particular interview today, but they'll be able to get in touch with you again, LinkedIn, or you can uh, ping them. But thank you so much, Steve. I'll talk to you soon again. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.